The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? When you deprive people of opportunities for healthcare, you deprive people of opportunities for education, you deprive people of chances uh, to get into the game. That's all these young people want. They just want to get in the game. Then what, you don't think they're going to get nervous? You don't think they're going to get anxious? You don't think they're going to get depressed? You don't think they're going to get desperate? You don't think they're going to start drinking? You don't think they're going to start using? You don't think they're going to start acting out? You are foolish to think otherwise. And that's why the consciousness of people who don't get that that needs to fade away, and we need the consciousness of a whole new, whole new consciousness to come into our Congress and into our White House. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Marianne Williamson. You guys, when I say that I'm excited about this one, I am very excited about this one. I get asked pretty often why we talk about politics on this podcast, which is mainly about wellness, mental health, and spirituality. And the truth is that the two things are absolutely not mutually exclusive. And in this episode, Marianne, who has been a real thought leader in the spiritual community for several decades now, talks about why avoiding politics is actually kind of a form of spiritual bypassing, that we need to do our own inner work and be involved with what's happening in our communities and in our world. So aside from Marianne running for president, she also is a best-selling author. She's the author of 14 books, and four of them have been New York Times bestsellers. A quote from the mega bestseller, A Return to Love, one of my favorite books of hers, She says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I really believe that we are powerful beyond measure. I'm so grateful for each one of you in this community who is doing their own internal work and taking that work out into the world, helping others, being active in our community, because I really do believe that... The spiritual work is important. The healing work is important. And helping others to do that too is also really important. Marianne also founded Project Angel Food, which is a nonprofit that has delivered more than 13 million meals to ill and dying homebound patients since 1989. The group was created to help people suffering from the ravages of HIV and AIDS. They have since expanded their services to any person battling critical illness. She has also worked throughout her career on poverty, anti-hunger, and racial reconciliation issues. 
She has advocated for reparations for slavery since the 1990s and was the first candidate in the 2020 presidential primary to make it a pillar of her campaign. In 2004, she co-founded the Peace Alliance and supports the creation of a U.S. Department of Peace. In addition, she advocates for a cabinet-level Department of Children and Youth to adequately address the chronic trauma of millions of American children. Obviously, I am so passionate about that. It was recently that I heard an amazing therapist say something that was so profound that left me shaking in my boots. They said the DSM, which is what we use, it's an 800-page book manual that we use to diagnose people with mental health issues that if we got rid of child abuse, hunger, and poverty for children, that within two generations, the DSM manual would go from 800 pages to the size of a pamphlet. And I know that to be true because it is absolutely 100% clear to me that so much of the mental health issues that we are dealing with today, everything from depression and anxiety to addiction, are a direct result of chronic stress and trauma. And I know that if you guys are longtime listeners to the podcast, you know this. And so I'm just so grateful to have Marianne on the podcast. I'm doing this intro today on the day of the inauguration. And while I know we have a long ways to go, I am finally feeling a little bit hopeful after four very, very long years. And I hope that you guys are too. So with that, here is Marianne Williamson. Today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage that I have ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it is difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients that it needs to thrive. We're all busy. We're always on the go. It's important to fill those gaps with excellent nutrition. This is where Athletic Greens can help. It is a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine and empower towards better habits. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition in on a daily basis by giving you one thing with all of the best things. I personally have been using Athletic Greens for the last month. And what I love about it is that it gets me all of the right supplements. So I put one scoop into my smoothie and I am good to go. As many of you know, if you follow along with me on Instagram, I have this genetic mutation that 40% of the population has called MTHFR, which doesn't allow your body to absorb synthetic non-methylated B vitamins. B vitamins are so important for our health. And I love, love, love this product because it gets me the right B vitamins. One tasty scoop of a Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multi-mineral, probiotic, greens, superfood blend, and more that 
all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, and supports a healthy functioning immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during the winter months. They are offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. So you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Starting 2021 with a simple, sustainable nutritional habit is Athletic Greens MO. So whether you're looking for peak performance or better health, covering your basis with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash reality to join the health experts, athletes, and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash reality and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. You know, those things you are too embarrassed to talk about when it comes to dating, like when to say I love you, how to define the relationship. Well, We Met at Acme touches upon all of those subjects and more, and we get right into it with our guests and talk about their dating lives and also what not to do when it comes to dating because we're all kind of confused together. So you can tune in every Sunday to We Met at Acme and maybe you can learn a thing or two while I learn a thing or two. So I'm really looking forward to discussing how really all of the crises that we face from mental health and addiction to hunger and endless wars are both spiritual and political problems. And to discuss with you how we can break through the last 10,000 years of history and do something different rooted in love, which is what your campaign was all about, which left me feeling so inspired. So I guess my very first question that I know my listeners are going to want to know before we dive into this is, what is the connection between spirituality and politics? Spirituality is the path of the heart and the use of the mind. And the mind is the level of cause. And politics is of the world. Politics is the level of effect. So if you're only working on a political level, then you're working on the level of effect, but that will not have a fundamental permanent effect unless it is also accompanied by change on the level of cause. Martin Luther King said that the desegregation of the American South was the political externalization of the goal of the civil rights movement but that the ultimate goal was the establishment of the beloved community. If you only make change on an external level, but you don't address the mental and spiritual, which ultimately are the same, you know, the Course in Miracles says religion and psychotherapy at their peak are the same thing. If you don't address the causal level within consciousness that caused a symptom, then even if you eradicate, it's like with allopathic medicine. If all you do is eradicate or suppress the symptom, as important as that might be, it will only morph into another symptom ultimately if you don't also address the fundamental error, which is on the level of spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, on that level, what the Course in Miracles says is there's really only one problem and there's really only one answer. 
And the problem is that we have forgotten who we are and we have forgotten that we are one with God. We have forgotten that we're one with each other. We've forgotten we're one with the earth, etc. Now you said, how do we get over the last 10,000 years? I think it's important that we remember there were some good spots in the last 10,000 years too. We're not the first generation to figure it out that some things are messed up. I think there's this kind of arrogance that we have in the West, like, ooh, we just discovered something nobody's discovered for the last 10,000 years. Actually, it's almost the opposite. There have been times in history where people seem to know much more, have much more of an enlightened perspective than we do in many ways today. Yeah. I don't necessarily mean break free or move away from the last 10,000 years. I just think that it's time to do something radically different on a mass scale that we've done. Well, we're living in a, in a historic phase transition, and we absolutely must evolve to the next stage of things. Now, the 20th century mindset was different than the 19th century mindset. And the 21st century, even though we're 21 years into it, we're still too many of our institutions are still stuck in a 20th century worldview. And that 20th century worldview was very mechanistic. It saw the world according to Newtonian physics, which is now seen as obsolete. The idea that the world is a big machine. And if you don't like what you see in the world, you just tweak the pieces of the machine. You just tinker with the machine. The 21st century evolutionary leap we need to take, which is what I think you're referring to, Mm -hmm. is much more whole person in which we recognize what you and I are already talking about, which is that If you want to change the world, if you want to affect the world, you must include in your formula for doing that issues of human consciousness, because human consciousness does affect the world. So without that evolutionary leap, what I think you're referring to and what many people are saying is we literally might not survive another hundred years on this planet because our separation, the fracture that exists between us and the realization that we're only here to love each other has literally, it's insane. Gandhi said the problem with the world is that humanity is not in its right mind. It's insane the way we treat the earth. It's insane the way we treat each other. And all of these different experiences of breakdown, mental health, addiction, et cetera, are all just symptoms of this deep, deep, deep deep-seated hysteria within the human mind, which is not at home in itself. Because when we are living on this earth with any other purpose than to love one another, we are so separated from our sense of identity, deep identity, and deep sense of purpose, that it's, it's a level of insanity. That's what Freud called, Freud said, neurosis is separation from self. We're separated from ourselves. Yeah. I love that earlier you brought up A Course in Miracles and... Um, When I had my first daughter, I was a couple of years in recovery and I was really struggling with my mental health. She was maybe a little under a year and I was battling postpartum depression, anxiety, and everyone kept telling me, go see a psychiatrist. You need to go see a psychiatrist. And so I went down that route and it didn't work for me and I actually got worse. And That's when my mom gifted me the book, A Course in Miracles, 365 Days of a Practice. And I remember, ooh, it's going to hit me in my feels right now. (laughs) I I remember it was like day 28 and I was, I, I read the page and I was in the meditation after. 
And all of a sudden I got this like chill up my spine and I was kind of like rocketed into this other level of consciousness for a brief moment. And I heard this roaring voice that clearly said to me, listen to my voice. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm listening. And it said, listen for my voice. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like I'm, li- I'm listening for you. And then it was quiet for a couple of minutes and I just sat there breathing. And very clearly I heard Marianne, I am your father, you are my daughter, and we are one. I just like lost it because I was like, that's so, that was the moment where I realized that like any belief that I had about separateness was just a belief that it didn't really exist, that that separateness never existed. And it was such a profound shift for me and really just threw me back into this. When I was in my active addiction, I obviously moved away from my spiritual practice and it brought me back to it. You know, what's interesting is what makes us human, and I want all of the listeners to really get this, What makes us human is our ability to communicate, our ability to imagine and to think and to think things into existence. We are the only creatures who can do that, who can, I can say, Marianne, I have this idea and I want to communicate it to you. And what do you think about that? And can we come together and build on this? And it's quite literally magic is what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And so I ask, everybody who's listening today, like, what kind of magic do you want to create? And how can we create a world that is intentional and leading with love? Um, and so I'd love to, to know, ideally, how you would like to see this next administration and really us as a whole move forward through the next several years. I want to go back a little, if I might, to something you said a couple of minutes ago. We don't actually know if we're the only species that can do that. Mm. When it comes to dolphins and elephants, there is clearly some communication network. So I think we have a little bit of species arrogance. You know, I was reading about the man who had been instrumental in rescuing these elephants that had been corralled in this relatively small space. And this had happened years ago. And then he was dying of cancer. And about two or three days before his death, his wife, this was in Africa somewhere, his wife looked out the window and the house was surrounded by all of these elephants who had come from near and far, clearly paying their respects. Yeah. She had not faxed elephant headquarters or sent an email to tell them. And then how did they, I mean, there's something, and then we see it with dolphins also. So I just wanted to put that in there that we're not, you know, I think that that's what, okay. So about the Biden administration, Mm -hmm. we have over the last 40 years and never in the United States have we ever fully embodied uh, the principles on which we purport to stand. But over time, there's been efforts made. So we had slavery from the beginning, but then we had the abolition of slavery. 
We had the institutional suppression of women, but then we had the women's suffragette movement. We had segregation in the American South, and then we had the civil rights movement. So even though we've had horrible things, you add to that genocide and cultural annihilation of Native Americans, there are all kinds of terrible, terrible things that have dotted the landscape of American history. But in other generations, generations rose up and they pushed back. And they pushed back forces that were un-American, that were undemocratic, and that would limit rather than liberate the ability of people to spread their wings, soar, and live the lives that they want to live. Our generation is now living the newest iteration of that pattern. It's no different than certain things that have happened in the past. It's like when you and I were talking before about how symptoms reappear. Mm-hmm. And now what we need to push back against is something that other generations have had to push back again. And that is monopolistic power on the part of capitalism when capitalism is not acting with moral integrity. So capitalism, in order to be a system that works, has to be regulated enough that it can't just use its profound financial power to serve a few people who get to play the game. So what happened about 40, and other generations have done that. Other generations formed unions. Other generations had child labor laws. What happened about 40 years ago when Ronald Reagan was president was a huge shift into what was called trickle-down economics. Mm -hmm. The idea that all that a company had to do was bear responsibility for the financial well-being of its stockholders, even if that was at the expense of other stakeholders, the workers, the planet, the community. So for instance, what would regulated uh, capitalism mean? Regulated capitalism means if somebody wants to build a factory, right? Good for them. They're going to make a lot of money in that factory. Good for them. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But if they are spewing carcinogens into the water and it's going down river and causing brain tumors in people downriver, that's not okay. So that's what safety regulations are for. That's what environmental regulations are for. That's what banking, all these regulations. So along comes these people about 40 years ago, and they called those job-killing regulations. They weren't job-killing regulations. They were health regulations. They're safety regulations. And what is done, this trickle-down economics, what they said was, This is good because all the money that will be made in this small group of stockholders, they'll create so many jobs that the money will trickle down and it will lift all boats. But it didn't, Alexis. It didn't lift all boats. It caused a massive transfer of wealth into the hands of a tiny population and at the expense of millions and millions of Americans who even before the pandemic, even before the pandemic, There were 40% of Americans who could not afford a $400 unexpected expenditure. That was even before the pandemic. So there was a huge, huge, huge part of America's population corralled into the space of limited economic and social response possibility. Now, we like that people can get rich in America. We like that people can spread their wings and do wonderful things in America. The problem is that we're now stuck in a situation where too many people can't get in the club. 
they're not educated. They, they are stuck in a place where they cannot spread their wings because material conditions are so intensely limited for them, including millions of children. You've talked about trauma. There is so much chronic trauma in so many millions and millions of American children. For instance, there are many schools in America where they don't even have the adequate school supplies with which to teach a child to read. If a child cannot learn to read by the age of eight, the chances of high school graduation are drastically decreased and the chances of incarceration are increased. So look at the trauma. The child is eight and can't read. And there's not enough teachers, there are not enough resources in the school to stop to help that one kid. So by the time he's like 11 years old, being in school is so traumatizing because the other kids can read and he can't. The chances are he won't even make it to finish high school and the chances are he'll end up in prison. And that's why we have 2.3 million people in prison. When I was in college, you were talking about when you were younger, when I was in college, there were 300,000 people in prison. Mm. So now you move into the fact that when you have large groups of desperate people, and that's what this has caused, it's caused large groups of desperate people. Whenever you have large groups of desperate people, you have a national security risk because they become a petri dish out of which all kinds of dysfunction and malfunction, not just on an individual level, but on a societal level can emerge. In order to fix this, what do I want to see? We need massive change and we need it quickly. We need what is similar to what FDR did during the Great Depression. When he came in there, we need a massive infusion of economic hope and opportunity into the lives of the average American. Medicare for all, free college, cancellation of these college loans, because, and we are seeing this, you know, the, the emergence of an authoritarian leader in a situation like that is predictable. The emergence of a really sick group of white supremacists mm-hmm. cults uh, phenomenon is almost predictable in a situation like this. And the only way to begin to stabilize, restabilize, and repair this country is if we begin a massive redistribution of opportunity in this country into the lives of millions and millions and millions of people who have been left out of the system and are just at the point where they're hopeless, they're desperate, and that's very, very dangerous. Yeah. Two things. First, going back to corporations, when people often hear about implementing change to capitalism. I don't even want to use the word socialism because even though we're labeled as socialists, it's like, I'm not advocating for socialism. My husband's a business owner. We own a very successful company, but there's a way to do capitalism in an ethical way. We're a perfect example. Costco is a perfect example. For instance, we make sure that the gap between our average employee and the CEOs is not an outrageous amount. We start all of our employees at a living wage. Everyone gets health insurance, time off, Christmas bonuses. There's a way to do this where it's not going to affect inflation. And I think that's such a huge pushback that you get. It's like, it's not possible to without massive inflation. It's like, well, it is when the CEO of this company is making 230,000 times more than their average. Yeah. 
Yeah, the inflation argument is completely bogus. This is what the issue is, is many people would say, what you and your husband are doing is really lovely and it should only be on a voluntary basis. There aren't enough people working within corporate America with the consciousness that you and your husband are displaying. For instance, Walmart makes billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars profit a year and only pays its workers minimum wage. There was a time back in the 1970s, first of all, back in the 1970s, the average worker in America could afford a home could afford a car, got a good paycheck, had good benefits, could send their kids to college and take a vacation every year. Mm -hmm. That is so different than this pandemic by which epidemic of people having to work two and three jobs, et cetera. So during that time, before the 1980s, businesses such as yours, corporations in America, which mainly would mean huge corporations, paid into the public treasury about 30% of our public treasury. Today, only 11%. So the first thing you do is corporations should pay higher taxes. I mean, we, we, they were during the Eisenhower years, it was 90% marginal tax rate. And then they started to go down and Reagan just slashed them. So what we're doing is we are giving through tax cuts, we are giving to the very, very wealthiest people and wealthiest corporations. The 2017 tax cut gave 80, which was $2 trillion, gave 83 cents of every dollar to the very richest corporations and individuals. So we need to tax corporations appropriately. This is how you regulate capitalism. You tax appropriately. You cut these huge corporate subsidies. Why are we giving billions of dollars in subsidies to fossil fuel companies that are already making these huge profits? Mm -hmm. The American government gave up, surrendered its capacity to negotiate with big pharmaceutical companies uh, to lower prices. We stopped giving, for instance, we all want a strong military. We know that this country has to have a strong military. But our defense budget is hundreds of billions of dollars a year above what the Pentagon even says they want. It's just profits that the defense industry says they need. This is what you do. You tax people. You stop just giving it away to a small group of people. And then, and then you make sure you have things like those environmental regulations, safety regulations. And then this ship that has tilted begins to be righted and we will be able to navigate these waters. And no, that does not cause inflation. No. And what's interesting is the people who are making the argument that we shouldn't raise taxes are the same people who are saying that it's not the corporation's responsibility and they should choose how ethical they want to be. Yeah, uh, yes, that's what they do. That is Reaganomics. That is exactly what they say. What I said to you before, that, that's what they say. They need to not be in power any longer. They have had their day because those people who say their argument is that those people who we give all this money to, all that money will trickle down. It didn't trickle down, Alexis. It has left millions of people without even a life vest. Yeah. And the income inequality is so obscene. Uh, and there was a late Supreme ju a Court justice named Louis Brandeis who said that you can have large amounts of money concentrated in the hands of a very few, or you can have democracy. You cannot have both. You cannot have both. I agree. You know, Alexis, you're, you're, in, you're in Los Angeles. I can see your kitchen behind you. You live in a nice house. Your husband has a successful company. You're a beautiful white girl. Let's be really honest. Yep. Okay. Let's be, let's stop. Let's stop pretending now. And capitalism, free market economy has been excellent to me as well. And interestingly enough, given me by a black woman, given that Oprah Winfrey gave me so much. Being in the club is great in America. 
If you're in the club, there's no better place to be. But right now, what is so unstable and unsustainable is that not enough people have a chance to get into the club. If you have a child who is so traumatized, living there, we have millions of American children living in what's called America's domestic war zones. I read a study that one quarter of the girls going to school in Chicago public school system would be clinically diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. So the kind of argument that you're presenting, which in addition to being so economically not that you present it, but that you mentioned other people present. Yes. It's so economically bogus. It's so disproven at this point. But in addition, it lacks soul. It lacks any love. It, la- it You can only go there if you are completely putting blinders on and you do not care about these millions and millions and millions of Americans who are suffering and desperate and cannot get out of their situation. Yeah. And that's another thing with corporations too that, you know, is totally possible. And that's diversity, not in our lower level employees, but at the top level. And that's another thing that I believe corporations need to be mindful of is what is your, when you sit down and have your management meeting, what does that round table look like? If it's all white men and even white women, you're doing something wrong. And it's time to start thinking about how we can be really intentional with moving forward just across the board, but I'm talking about for corporations right now, like we need to be really intentional so that way we can achieve equity, right? Like equity is not just going to come from the government giving subsidies, which they should. They should absolutely start funding low-income neighborhoods with better schooling more resources, childcare, all of those things, all of that is great. But I believe that is our personal responsibility too, as white people to become conscious and to go, okay, how am I going to diversify my workspace? So that way I'm giving everybody a fair chance in my surrounding neighborhood. I do believe that we absolutely have a responsibility to do that. Going back to what you were talking about with children, it's interesting. I recently read from this amazing doctor, and I'm totally not going to remember his name right now, but he said something that was so profound. I talk about ACE scores all the time. I'm sure you've probably heard of them, Adverse adverse Childhood Experience Study. So my ACE score was a 9 out of 10. So I'm lucky to be alive today. And um, I talk about ACEs often, and it's interesting because... In my community here on the podcast, people started taking their ACE score and 100% of us pretty much have at least three or more on that scale. And I believe that we've been so naive to how many children this actually affects. But this doctor was saying that if we eliminated child abuse, pulled children out of poverty and gave them proper education, the DSM, which is what we use to identify mental health disorders in America would shrink from 800 pages to the size of a pamphlet. Because my husband and I, what we do, our family business is we own a drug and alcohol and mental health facility. So I deal with people all day long who are the result of, who are having substance use disorder and mental health crises as a result of the trauma that they, that they experienced as young children. 
I believe and my hope for this administration would be that they are start immediately implementing massive changes that help children. And, you know, the reason why I became a birth doula as a passion project of mine is because I do believe that it really starts with mothers, mothers having support, families, parents having support. No woman should lose her job because she had a baby, lose her health insurance because she had a baby. No family should have to choose between good childcare and working a great job. That just shouldn't be a thing in America. Well, that's exactly what I meant by talking about a massive infusion of economic yeah. opportunity. When I was running for president, one of the pillars of my campaign was a department of children and youth. We need to completely front end, massively front end our resources to in the direction of children, particularly in early childhood, because so much happens in the human brain before the age of 10. So much happens in the human brain even before the age of five. In terms of family leave, what you just said, absolutely. It's been proven over and over again that if a mother and a father are to remain with the child in the first few months of life, that 10, 15 years later, the chances of that child having any of these problems we're talking about is drastically decreased. But that's what we're talking about. It is the business community uh, that pushes back against that. And that's why we need to push back against a soulless economic system. And I agree with you, uh, capitalism can work for people, but only if it's regulated appropriately in those kinds of ways. And that's what you have in your advanced democracies in Europe, where there, there's, there are a mix of some socialist and some capitalist elements. What do you think? I mean, the fire department is basically a socialist element. You know, the police department is basically a socialist element. But it's going to be women and mothers and people who, for whatever reason, have a deep concern uh, about children who are going to lead the call. When I, when I talked about a Department of Children and Youth addressing the chronic trauma of millions of American children, I would say, why is it we have a Department of Agriculture, but we don't have a Department of Children? And people would say, well, we have child and family services within Health and Human Services, but it's tiny. The budget and the resources are tiny compared to the massive level of the problem. I, I say all the time, if you want to take care of your economy 20, uh, 10 years from now, take better care of your 10-year-olds today. And also with what you said, the idea of going when government officials say, well, you know, Marianne, what's your advice on... Uh, all the mental health problems people have, and my answer is always the same. Stop driving people crazy. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to do. Stop driving people crazy. Because when you deprive people of opportunities for healthcare, you deprive people of opportunities for education, you deprive people of chances uh, to get into the game. That's all these young people want. They just want to get in the game. Then what, you don't think they're going to get nervous? You don't think they're going to get anxious? You don't think they're going to get depressed? You don't think they're going to get desperate? You don't think they're going to start drinking? You don't think they're going to start using? You don't think they're going to start acting out? You are foolish to think otherwise. And that's why the consciousness of people who don't get that, that needs to fade away. And we need the consciousness of a whole new, mm. whole new consciousness to come into our Congress and into our White House. So let's talk about the spiritual community, because um, I've got to say, I've been pretty freaking disappointed over the last four years. And, you know, you keep it 100% honest and real, and I will too. I am quite frankly disgusted by a lot of people, leaders in this industry who I've set, seen either staying quiet and complicit 
in an attempt to calm the waters and to be seen as a positive with their toxic positivity, a positive space so they can sell more books and more crap to you about how you should just stay positive, even though the world is burning down. I'm sorry, but if you're not feeling rage right now, there's something wrong with you. That's been my my mantra. (laughs) A perfect example. Today on TikTok, this big spiritual girl who has close to a million followers said, you know, I didn't really see what happened on the news the other day because I'm operating in 5D and Antifa and Trump supporters are all on 3D. And we just don't like vibe with that here. It doesn't really. And I've gotten a lot of pushback from people in the community who are like, go back to love and to peace. And we're all the same and we're all equal and we're all force energy. And we just need to like calm down and hold the peace and do global meditations and da, da, da. And then you have the spiritual community who's gone on to full on lizard people, Akanaki, QAnon, lunacy. How do we rein it back to... I don't even know, to an actual awakening so that way conscious people can start to become involved in politics. Well, the kind of criticism that you have is one that I have been articulating for years. And the idea of spirituality that does not include service to others, that is willing to look away and not address the suffering of other sentient beings, is not spirituality at all. It's narcissism using a disguise. And also, as you indicated, it's brand protection. It's just that same toxic capitalism without a soul, the unfettered capitalist mentality, where people just are afraid that if they stand up and say anything, they might lose a book sale. Uh, And I I know this well. I know this well. I have a lot of people in the spiritual community who think that I'm not spiritual anymore uh, because I I name what needs to be named. Uh, I said to somebody on Twitter the other day, so wait a minute, so you think, and this really happened, by the way, in Germany, when they started picking up Jews and rounding them up and sending them to concentration camps, a very common story was that someone would say to someone, do you know where the Schwartzes went? Because I haven't seen them in their house recently and their children aren't in school. Have you seen the Schwartzes? And someone would say, oh, let's just be positive. That's how it happened. There was a lot of that. Oh, let's just not talk about that. That's just unpleasant. So there's nothing spiritual about not naming police brutality. There's nothing spiritual about not naming what was happening at the border. Nothing spiritual about uh, not naming policies, which make it very, very difficult for people to even keep their head above water. So that's number one. And what happened for me that was ironic and very difficult for me on a personal level uh, during my presidential campaign was I was caricatured as one of them. Mm -hmm. I was caricatured as this like, we said, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, and by the way, one of the things that, along with what you're saying, was how I couldn't believe all the people in our community who didn't speak up, mm. who didn't say, you know, you might not agree with her politics, but that's not who she is. But people were so afraid to even defend me because it might get on them. It was quite something. But, uh, and I think that the fact that the, it was so apolitical, so that there wasn't an intelligent, mature conversation about what was true, 
made many people in the community, I don't even call it a community anymore. It's not a community. It's kind of a network of people looking to hit the Amazon list or something. It, it's not, I, I learned from my experience, it's not the community I thought it was. And like you said, now we have serious problems. I don't, this whole queue, whatever, that's not, when I see someone with light worker after their name, who is thinking, let's execute people in Hollywood, there's nothing spiritual there. No, no. And what's so interesting is that so many in, in this network, they like that yeah. Network. Yeah, let's. We have to drop the word community. As sad as that is, so it, it's true, and that almost is. Yeah, that like painful. It's painful because Alexis, if I may say so, I was there at the very, very beginning. I know you were. There were only about five of us. I know. And to see that what it became, but there are many, many serious spiritual seekers too. I'm not saying there aren't. There are. Okay. It's just that the whole field. Many yeah. things now. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is the word ego gets pushed around in this network of people a lot. And so many can't see that Trump is literally our shadow. Like, Trump is as American as apple pie is. Like, he represents literally what we've been for the last several decades. And it makes complete sense to me that we are here and what sad is how many people have been attracted to that darkness, you know, and think that that darkness is somehow the light, which really doesn't make sense. But also just goes back to speaking volumes to like, if you make people anxious enough, right, like depressed enough, have enough scarcity, you can easily manipulate the masses. Yeah, because people become vulnerable to ideological capture by genuinely psychotic forces. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely someone who is so clearly a pathological liar. And I think over this last week, traitorous uh, to be seen as some great light worker and great leader. It's pretty terrifying. But hopefully, and and I do believe this, I feel in the long term, this is going to be a great course correction. It's just the short term and the medium term. We're living through some. Um, yeah, very serious times. So for the people who are feeling distressed still and who aren't necessarily trustworthy of this next administration, who are maybe feeling a little bit hopeless after all of this chaos, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, the administration hasn't taken office yet, so I don't know how, how you can be judging them. We don't know what he's going to do yet. He is surrounded by uh, some people, some pretty moderate people, but Kamala Harris is surrounded by some people who clearly know what what the score is, what's going on. So when you say they don't trust them, they're not there yet. So why don't we just wait and see what they do? That's number one. And number two, from the deeper spiritual level that you and I are talking about, I don't know how anybody makes it through the day right now without prayer and meditation. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, in in AA, of course, they talk about uh, seek through conscious contact with God. Mm through prayer and meditation. The, the issue is the world, even at its best, is a realm that is parallel to and separate from the deeper essence of our being. So prayer reunites us. It, it's the yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The issue is if you wake up in the morning and you, you take a shower, you take a bath, you brush your teeth, 
because you don't want to take yesterday's dirt onto your body, on your body into the new day. But if you don't meditate, you don't pray, you don't reflect, you don't reconnect, then you take yesterday's stress into the, into the new day. And today, particularly, you're not taking just your stress. You're taking all the stress of Washington, all the stress of the rest of the world. That's why there is so much pharmaceutical, yeah. uh, such an appetite for pharmaceutical options, which sometimes in schizophrenia, bipolar, et cetera, certainly have psychotherapeutic benefit. I'm not saying they're not. But they should not be used just for the basic anxiety of living in the world. How could you not be anxious today, as you said? If, if you're looking at the world today and you're not depressed, who are you? And therefore, the idea of preparing the vessel through prayer and meditation is absolutely, I don't know how anybody makes it through the day without that right now. Yeah. And by the way, I, I want to say, because I think it needs to be said, just in case anyone would misunderstand, if somebody is using a psychopharmacological option and feels, well, it's true, maybe this isn't something I want to continue with, or I might be at this point addicted to because they are addictive. I'm not in any way suggesting that someone just throw their pills in the, in the no. trash. This is very medically unsafe and people must be weaned off those things very carefully and under direct medical supervision. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I had Johan Hari on the podcast a few episodes ago who wrote an amazing book, Lost Connections. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. It's all mm -hmm. about, mental health and these different pharmaceuticals so everyone should go and read that it's really balanced and i think everyone in my community knows that i have a very balanced approach to this there are absolutely a time and a place for western medicine and then there's a time and a place for more eastern um, traditions which i think having the balance that's the holistic approach right is using the mind body and spirit and we've been in a time for for quite a while now especially here in the U.S. where we've just been focusing on the body and not the mind and the spirit and I think most of the people in this community are really taking the deep dive that is necessary towards healing um, healing the mind body and spirit all together um, thank you so much for your time you're so welcome it was a, a pleasure to speak to you I Love your work. Obviously a huge fan. Thank you. I go to Agape out here in Los Angeles. I just, I, I love you and your work. Where can our listeners follow along with you if they're interested in checking out more of your work? Thank you. People can go to Marianne.com. And I'm on, of course, Instagram. I'm on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And I have a podcast. And there's a, there are a lot of ways. I'm doing the 365 days of the Course in Miracles, the daily workbook lessons. Mm -hmm. If somebody goes to Marianne.com, it's all there. Awesome. I'll make sure to have this in the show notes for you guys. And until next time. Thank you so much. This week's affirmation is, I am pure loving consciousness, and so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday, and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality, or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 